0: That's good stuff, isn't it, TC3? That's worth uh, braving the drizzle over for, isn't it? Hey, my name is Gordon, and uh, I'm really excited to be with you today. We're going to be talking about uh, one of Jesus' favorite topics today, Uh, wealth and possessions. How many of you are excited about that? It's good. It's good. He talks about it a ton in the text of Scripture because it really has to do with um, ownership, and in regards to giving, um, giving is what helps ministry take place. It helps get things, things done. And the biblical principle about giving is is laid out throughout the text of Scripture. And uh, I want to take us to, to Psalm or Proverbs 11, just to get us started. And it says the, these words, give freely and become more what? Some of you are super excited about it. Okay, give freely and it says become more wealthy, be stingy, lose everything. All right, so some of you, uh, you're so glad that you're sitting next to the person that you're sitting next to because they need to hear about this. Because they fall into one of these two categories. The generous will what? The generous will what? There we go. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, when I think about this, it's really simple. It's like givers win, stingy people lose, generous people prosper, and those who refresh people will themselves be refreshed. Now, when you look at those dynamics, there is certainly one side that you want to be on when it comes to what the text of scripture has to say here. And when we talk about giving freely, It doesn't mean that when we get to a giving level, then we start become, or or when we get to an income level, we start to become a giver. When I was a younger person, I would hear guys like me on stages talking, and i go, well, when I start making money, then all of a sudden I'll start giving. And then the tendency is when you start making money to then go, when I get to a certain level, then I'll start being a giver. Well, the Bible wants us to be generous at whatever income level we're at. And some of you, you're new here, and you're going, man, the church always talks about money. Well, let me tell you this, here's, how, here's a church hack for you, okay? November, churches talk about money and prosperity and, and finances and all that because it's the month of what? Thanksgiving. It's a generous month. If you come next month, guess what we're going to talk about? Christmas. It's the craziest thing. If you come here in February, church hack, I'm telling you, behind the scenes, here's what we're going to talk about in February relationships, crazy, crazy. Listen, Jesus talks about this a lot because he wants us to get this thing right and no matter what income level we're at, we have the ability to get it right. Wealthy doesn't always mean that you have a rich bank account and generous isn't always about the size of the contribution. People think about that. Generous is not about the size of the contribution. Uh, it's not about equal giving here. It's about equal sacrifice. That's what the Bible calls us to, equal sacrifice. That's what, the, that's what the Acts 2 church was built on, equal sacrifice. Generous people, they prosper. Here's case in point. This is a real story that happened in the context of TC3. A couple of years ago, somebody came into my office and they were just getting on the giving train. They were in their 30s and just felt compelled that it was time for them to start um, investing in the work of the Lord here uh, at TC3 at, a, at another level. Uh, a couple kids in their world, and so um, they had a few things that they are managing, and, and they come in, or the, the, the husband comes in, and he, and he just said, hey, God's been leading me to um, really get on board financially. He's been calling us to get on board financially. And so what I want to do is I want to drop this off, and I, I want it to just go— to the work of the Lord. That was kind of the context of the conversation. I'm not a good receiver, and so I always say, hey, are you sure? This is what God is calling you to. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. How does it make you feel? Do you feel pressured that you have to do this? No, I don't feel any pressure. Matter of fact, I feel incredible joy to be able to to give this to the work of the Lord at TC3. He slides across the table a check for $5,000, and I'm like, this is a good day. Would it, is that not a bad day? Is that not a good day when that happens in your world? Okay, it's a good day. And so I said, hey, it appears to me that you might have the gift of giving. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray that God grows that gift of giving, that you grow in the grace of giving, and that the next time that I see you, you'll be able to add a zero. Now, I was just messing around. Like, I was just kidding. and. Wouldn't you know it, three, four years later, this happened a few months ago, he comes into my office and he's like, hey, do you remember that conversation that we had a while back? And I said, I, I remember the Lord was leading you into giving and you gave a generous contribution and we put it to work here. And, he, and then he reaccounts the story. He's like, then I gave it and then you said, right before I left, next time you come in here, I wanna, I'm gonna pray that God will help you out of zero. So, write, so he takes the check out and he slides it across my table and in, or my desk, and instead of $5,000, it's $50,000. Now that's a good day. Is it not a good day? So, Here's, here's the genius of the devil. Guys like me don't want to talk about these stories because there are some of you right now, when you heard that, that amount, $50,000, you went, well, hey, I don't have to give anymore. This guy gave 50 G, this church should be good for two years, <laughs> right? Don't be stingy, okay? You just read the Bible, don't be stingy. So slides that check across the table for $50,000. I'm inspired by that. I mean, that inspires me. There's joy inside of his heart and his life when he does that, and when he hits the door, I look at him and I say, hey, next time you come back here, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that the Lord will help you out of zero. And, I, and you know what he said? I hope I can. And you know what I believe? I believe that he means it. Generous people They prosper. This is an uncommon example that I just shared with you. It shouldn't be. A more common example is in the text of Scripture in Mark chapter 10. Talk about smart things that dumb people did. The person we're going to talk about today is the rich young ruler. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. The man kneels down in front of Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he's running, so there's a sense of urgency inside of him. He wants to catch Jesus before Jesus leaves town. There's sincerity because he kneels down in front of Jesus. Listen, we can bow down. We can go through the motions and still be in bondage. This is the only time I see recorded in scripture where a man kneels down in front of Jesus and leaves worse off than when he came. Like that hit me when I was reading this passage of scripture. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, he said, you know the commandments. And Jesus starts listing some of the commandments. He said, don't be a murderer. Don't commit adultery, don't be sleeping with somebody else's spouse. Don't steal, don't lie, he said. Don't cheat anyone in honor, your father and mother. And most of us, we look at this passage of scripture and we go, as of right now, I'm doing okay. Just like the rich young ruler thought he was doing okay. And he said, listen, I've obeyed these commandments ever since I was a young person. Looking at the man, and I love this line in scripture, and this, this, this passage or this, this story is in several of the Gospels, but I love how Mark says it. It says that looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Like he loved him. Because he knew there was a genuine desire to be a fully devoted follower of God, his Father. He knew there was a desire because of how he approached him, how he came to him, but he also knew that there was a struggle inside of him. And that's really, that's really a reflection of Jesus' pastoral heart. I see that a lot of times in people where they really want to do this. It's like Romans chapter 7 where Paul is like, man, the good I want to do, I don't find myself doing. The things I shouldn't be doing, I find myself doing. Who's going to rescue me from this mess? And then he says, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues me from this body of sin and death. And Jesus has genuine love for him. He doesn't have condemnation in his heart. He doesn't want to come to the man with harsh words, but he looks at him and he says, listen, there's still one thing that you haven't done. He said, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then he said, come and follow me. And we think about this, if you think about this from a real world dynamic, to, to let go of all your earthly possessions and give them to the poor and then follow Jesus, this is a big one. And what Jesus is trying to do is reduce it down to the simplest element and he's asking the man, who owns your heart? Who owns your heart? Jesus loves him, but he knows materialism is his master. And Jesus calls him to surrender what's most important in his life so that, he can, so that he can gain what's most important in eternity. It's a question of priority. And it says immediately that the man's face fell. In other words, you could see it, how it impacted him. And it says in the text of scripture, That he walks away sad because it says he had many possessions. His materialism, his stuff, owned him. He had a problem that many rich people have. Their stuff owns them. They love it more than they love anything else. And this is his opportunity. Like Jesus is calling him to go on the most wild ride of his life to move from success to significance, to join Him and to make history with Him, to be somebody that we would write about or that we would, we would read about in a positive context thousands of years later. He's saying, come, change history with me. Come, make history with me. And we scream when we read this passage of Scripture, make the right choice. We're yelling at the guy, make the right choice. I don't know about you, when you read that passage of scripture, like every time I read it, I'm like, man, make the right choice. But instead, he goes away sad. I think it's a very real wrestling match that we all have, especially born into the prosperity that we've been born into. We strangely connect with him. We connect with his sadness because we know that we're surrendered and we wonder if we really are fully surrendered. We wonder if we were called to do this if we would, and, and we know that God owns everything. It's clear in the text of Scripture we'd say God owns everything, but we strangely connect with his sadness and we question if we could do it. We know he we went away sad because in that moment, he knows. In that moment, he knows materialism has become his master. And we are terrified when we read this passage of scripture that it might be our master as well. Because honestly, we love our stuff. We love our comfort. We love the security of the bank account. We know he missed his opportunity and we're terrified. We might miss ours as well. Or be missing ours right now. And we can all relate to his dilemma That's why we consider tithing and generous giving the final frontier, because a lot of us are are devoted followers of Christ, but this financial side of it has been a challenge for us. It's oftentimes for us the final frontier when we trust God with our finances. How do we know if materialism has a hold on us? I mean, probably the simplest answer to that is, would we be embarrassed if our income versus our giving was exposed. That would probably be the indicator of it. And I think all of us should be taking a hard look at that, especially as we turn to the new year. It's not about amounts, it's about ratios. It's about what we're doing with what God has given us. When we hold on to what we have today, and this is, this is, the, this is, this is the big one of this one. When we hold on to what we have today, We rob ourselves of the possibilities of what God wants to do with our lives tomorrow. He goes away sad, and when we're done reading this passage of Scripture, we're sad because he's a really smart guy who's amassed a lot of stuff and a lot of wealth, and when Jesus calls him to surrender it, he can't. He goes away sad because he refused to let go of his stuff. And so let's answer that question of priority for ourselves. First question is this, what's most important to us in life? What is the single most important thing in our life today? Is it a relationship? Does that relationship have priority over your relationship with God? Does this relationship dictate your relationship with God? Does 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 it come in conflict with your relationship with God because it's maybe calling you to do things that God has told you not to do? Or it won't let you do some of the things that God has called you to do? What's the most important thing in your life? Is the most important thing in life how people see you? Is it about your image? Is the most important thing in life about comfort, about those finer things that we have in life? And I'm someone who enjoys and loves to be comfortable. It can't be the most important thing. Is it about security? Is it about making sure that if it all goes south that we have enough? Is it about respect, being held in high esteem or valued? What makes materialism so deadly is that materialism masquerades as a provider of things that only God can provide. Only God provides true security. Only God can help you know and understand the value that you have and understand your identity. You can only find comfort in Him. Your self-image is only healthy if you realize who you are in Him. And the best relationship that you can ever have is with someone who promises to never leave you or forsake you, a relationship with God first and foremost. Too often we confuse the, the good life with the goods life, like how much stuff we have. And the writers of the New Testament, they push against that a lot. And we think that if we elevate our standard of living, it's going to elevate our quality of life. And what I would tell you is that is a lie from the pit of hell. There are plenty of less financially fortunate people who have quality lives without the cost and stress of a higher standard of living. Go to a third world country sometime. Walk down the streets and you'll notice the community that they have. You'll notice that they don't have anything, and they share everything, and they seem to be happy. It's the strangest thing, but for us, we keep going after more stuff. Materialism is this deadly pandemic. It's not like it's just here. Materialism is that thing that corrupts leaders in third world countries to to take when they know that their country is suffering and they take advantage of the disadvantaged. It's why Americans leverage their lives in credit card debt. It's robbing tomorrow's prosperity for the conveniences of today, and it's a distraction that leads to destruction. It keeps us from doing the things that God has called us to do. It's the third soil syndrome. Many of us suffer from it. You know the parable of of the, the soils where the first soil is is that the seed falls on the path and immediately it goes away. And then the second soil is it's, it's rocky and it gets choked out uh, because it doesn't, isn't able to take root. And the third, the third soil is the thorns. The, th- the seed that falls among the thorns are those of us that hear the word of God but too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life. The lure of wealth and desire for other things so that no fruit is produced because there's so many other things that have us distracted. And so it goes back to the question, does our stuff own us or do we own it? This is a story about ownership. It's asking the question, is materialism our master and are we unwilling to go all in because of what it will cost us? And Jesus looks around at the other disciples, and he said, how hard is it for rich to enter the kingdom of God? You ask the question, who's rich? And I say, you are. All of us are. And he's saying, how hard is it for rich people to get into the kingdom of God? And so, you know, you ask this question because it's frustrating. It's like, how do we break, break the, the bonds of materialism? Show the love of Jesus and our love for Jesus by giving like Jesus. Just follow his example. Christians are Christ-like, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? So God is ultimately a giver. Jesus left the riches of heaven and embraced the poverty of this earth so that we could be in relationship with God his Father. The church, this church in- included, and this is just me speaking freely. The church, this church included, has been moved forward by people who have been incredibly generous with what God has given them. You've seen ministries happen because you've been invested and involved in the work of the Lord here. And I'm blessed to say that we have been blessed to have some pretty incredibly generous people walk with us and that are still with us today. But I can also tell you And this is the sad, honest truth, and I I think if you asked any other pastor, they would tell you this as well, that there are more givers or, or more takers than givers in every single church in America. People who give, boy it got quiet in here, so quiet. People who give sparingly. People who eat here and pay somewhere else. People who are being fed that never pay at all. People that call churches their home and never contribute to a single house payment. And you ask the question, why does that happen? It doesn't happen because they're terrible people. It happens because materialism can easily become our master. We can get bound by it. That's why these things that we offer like Dave Ramsey classes help us get out of debt, that stuff's so important because it frees us up to do the things that God would call us to do. First John says it this way, for we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And then he calls us and compels us and he says, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then he gets really practical. I love the Bible's practicality. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, he said, Let's not merely say that we love each other, let's show the truth by our actions. In all ways, in all shapes, in all forms. Let's be generous like Jesus was generous. With his time, with his love, with his forgiveness, with his resources. So we ask the question, how do we break free from materialism? We don't store it up here, we invest up there. Don't store up treasures here on earth, store up your treasures in heaven. And then he says, and he cuts to quick at the bottom, he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever our investments are, that's where our heart is gonna be. To those who have no ability to save or even to get by, he said, you can store up treasures in heaven right now by using your resources for God's purposes now. To those of us that are winning the Monopoly game of life, the most lucrative and secure investment that we can make on earth is to store up treasures in heaven by investing in God's work. And Jesus says it again because the first one blew him away and he says it again just for emphasis. He said, how hard is it for for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel, he said, to go through the eye of a needle, and the disciples are astounded, and they're like, who in the world can be saved? This is a hard teaching, and it is a hard teaching. And Jesus kind of brings it back, and he says, listen, humanly speaking, the radical generosity that a relationship with God calls you to, from a human standpoint, calls us to, is impossible. But then he said, with God, all things are possible because we give and the Lord supplies. You either have a a channel mentality where the, the, the blessings of the Lord come into your, into your life, and then they flow through your life, and God keeps pouring blessing into your life and going through your life. Or you have a vessel mentality where you collect. And if you collect the blessings of God, and if you collect, 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 you go stagnant in your faith. That's just what happens. Peter said, listen, we've given up everything to follow you. And I come to t- places and times in my life where I'm like, listen, I, I'm, we give. God calls us to another level and to continue, as the Apostle talked about, to grow in the grace of giving. And he said, I I assure you that everyone who has given up will receive now in return a hundred times. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. And so for me, I've never regretted being a giver. And neither have I come in contact with someone who is a giver that has regrets for being a giver. What do we do with this teaching? We enjoy the blessings of being able to be a blessing. Listen, having stuff is not a bad thing. Being wealthy is not a bad thing. It's never pushed against in Scripture. If it owns us, it's a bad thing. Timothy is told by Paul, he said, teach those who are rich in this world. Again, who's rich in this world? We are. He says to us, don't be proud, don't trust in money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us everything we need for our enjoyment. So again, having it is not bad, he wants us to enjoy what we have. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need and always being willing to share with others. So what do we do with Paul's teaching? We have the right perspective. Just because you have more or might have more or I have more doesn't mean that we're better. We can never become proud or arrogant. We should never put our trust or our hope in money, thinking that it's security, because only God can provide security. Healthy perspective is, I'm going to trust God for everything, and I'm also going to be practical. He calls us to do good with what we have, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous to those who are in need and be ready to share. And then he says, the reward of all that, and I know that this is what you and I want, the reward of all that is that they'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, this is a tough teaching. It's a hard story when you get in that place where you put yourself in the place of that rich young ruler. But I think what the Spirit of God is calling us to do continually is to grow in the grace of giving and to be practical in how we're doing that. If we're not giving, it's time to start giving. And some of us are like, well, I can't get it doesn't matter. Start giving where you are. Automate it. We automate what's important. Grow in it. That's what we did as a church. We couldn't give very much in the beginning and so we started to grow in the grace of giving. One practical step that we're taking that we're going to call you to take is happening next week. It's an initiative of the church. You were involved in this last year. It's called One Day to Feed the World. You remember One Day to Feed the World from last year? Like you went to, you went to work on Monday going, I'm working to feed the world. Like every hour that I put in today is going to feed kids around the world and take care of practical needs around the world. That's what one day to feed the world is all about, and we do that through Convoy of Hope. So we ask everybody in the crowd to give up one day of their salary, figure it out, do the math, and give one day of your salary to help feed the world so on Monday you're help feeding the world. Some of us can do one day. Some of us can do more than one day. And here's the other thing I'd say. Listen, this isn't a shell game. Don't take what you're consistently giving to the Lord and then just give it on Monday. Some of us, we do that. We play the shell game with God's money. This is above and beyond giving. It's using our money to do good. It's about being rich in good deeds. It's being generous to those who are in need. It's about being willing to share. We can all do this. We can all get this. This is the good thing about this teaching. We can all get this right. No matter what income level we're living at, don't be like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 who lived for the present in fear of the future, hoarded everything that he had, stored up for himself, and was not fully surrendered, and who ends up paying the price. Let's do what the Proverbs calls us to do, the proverb calls us to do. Give freely, become more wealthy not be stingy so we won't lose everything, to be generous so that we'll prosper, and to be people who are fresh so that we in turn can be refreshed. Let's get it right for at least one day. I want you to consider this week participating in what we're gonna be doing next week, and it's called One Day. God bless you this morning.